Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the Alpo. You can help us out by going to www.a. Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And this Facebook page, uh, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And the Alpo also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. Be sure you put that astronomy in there. Otherwise, you'll get some dog food ad. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way, you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 131. Bye. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. You know, this year, this coming year, the ALPO is turning 75. That's quite the accomplishment, I think. But there's another organization out there that's even having a bigger anniversary, and that's the American Association of Variable Star Observers. They're turning 110 this coming year. And so we're very lucky to have have with us today the uh, Executive Director and CEO of the AAVSO, Stella Kafka. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Tim. Yeah, this is great. I'm really looking forward to learning more about your organization. Now, before we get into it, though, why don't we, why don't you just talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into the organization? Mm. I uh, was born and raised in Athens, Greece, and I got a bachelor's in physics from the University of Athens there. Uh, and from there, I came to the U.S. to get uh, my PhD in astronomy. And as a graduate student, I was uh, studying a group of stars that are called cataclysmic variables. So just binary star systems where one component is cannibalizing its companion uh, and it throws up from time to time. So it becomes a nova. Uh, but to study this kind of behavior, to study this kind of data, I use data from the AVSO International Database. We're talking about a really rich database. At that time, it had um, uh, up to 100 years of data of some of the objects that I was interested in. So that was my first acquaintance with the AVSO. Mm -hmm. You can say I am an astronomy daughter of the AVSO in that sense. (laughs) I owe part of my PhD thesis 
to AVSO observers. And this is a story you will hear again and again from many professional astronomers that are really grateful for the AVSO observers' data that enabled their studies and their, their thesis. Uh, from there on, I did the, the usual postdoc slash fellowship runaround until uh, this position became available. And here we are seven years later. I'm the executive director of the AVSO um, and I'm actually loving this community. I really am. This is a community of individuals who are extremely dedicated mm -hmm. and they're extremely passionate and they're extremely friendly. <laughs> uh, they collaborate, they work together in order to understand some of the craziest phenomena in the universe. And they're not afraid to actually um, observe under any conditions in order to unveil mysteries. And the cool thing with this community team is that we're sharing our results, right? There's no such thing as, as science that is happening behind closed doors. Everything right. is open, everything's accessible, everything, and everybody's welcoming. Uh, so this is one of the things I really like about the AVSO community. Yeah, it's one of those organizations, it's very similar to the ALPO that way too, is, you know, we have a lot of serious planetary mm -hmm. astronomers, mm -hmm. and we do more than just take pretty pictures of the planets. We actually mm -hmm. analyze the images and and a lot of work that the AVSO, AVSO does as well with their light curves and everything we use in other areas of our organization. Mm -hmm. so. And actually, not only that, you are taking pretty pictures and you <laughs> are studying phenomena through those pictures. Did right. you know the grand spot of Jupiter is changing mm -hmm. in size? And mm -hmm. from and this is something that can be revealed only through pretty pictures. The, the cool thing about ALPO is that it brings our solar system closer to people, to boldly mm. go, right? Not everybody <laughs> is a billionaire to take a spaceship and go out there. No, so you're bringing, you're bringing it among uh, people. It's really cool. Yeah. You, know, you don't wish you're going to go up there and come back within like five minutes. It's boring. <laughs> Very good. Now, briefly, uh, you mentioned a little about the type of work you did and... Mm. A lot of our listeners are uh, planetary observers. So mm -hmm. a variable star in a nutshell, how would you describe it? A variable star is a star whose, whose brightness is changing within timescales that we can notice, we can actually measure. So think about something that uh, a star that you go out and you take a look at, like Betelgeuse, for example. Mm -hmm. You take a look at it and you compare it with Rigel and you say, okay, so Betelgeuse is the brightest star uh, in the constellation of Orion, as we can see it right now. And you go back the second, a second night and you see that now Betelgeuse, for some reason, is as bright as Rigel. So its brightness declined. Um, and you go back a month later and you see Betelgeuse actually being way fainter that, mm -hmm. than Rigel. And this is actually um, a, a sequence of events uh, that is happening through a variable star's life. Actually, Betelgeuse, about a couple of years ago, 2020, 2019, 2020 did uh, dim mm. like that. It became fainter than Rigel and then recovered within a couple of, of months. And this type of changes in the brightness of stars with respect to other stars that are not variable uh, are giving us information on processes that are happening inside the stars themselves. I mean, we can't exactly go and take a scoop of, of star stuff and analyze it. And we can't exactly go there. We don't have the privilege to go take pretty pictures and see how things expand or collapse with time as they pulsate or how one star is covering its companion as it, it hides behind it or, um, or um, um, uh, 
passes in front of it. So the only way that we can see we can assess that is by taking measurements of the brightness changes of those stars, those variable stars, and compare them with the brightnesses of stars that are not changing at all. So it's a comparison study, mm-hmm. if you think about it. So for example, if you compare my height, right? It's seeing it increased with time since I was a baby, mm-hmm. um, but it increased in time based on a measurement, a specific kind of, of uh, uh, yardstick that we had. So our yard, yardstick in this particular case are stars whose brightness is not changing with time. So Very you good. can definitely do it through your binoculars. Actually, Betelgeuse's changes were uh, first noticed by visual observers, observers who actually looked at the constellation at some point, Betelgeuse was not looking the same way. Uh, yeah. The whole constellation of Orion did not look the same way. Yeah, it, it brought to, the whole Betelgeuse thing brought to note that a lot of people didn't realize that Betelgeuse was a variable star. You're absolutely right. And you know a- until that happened. And then it's just like, oh, wow. And then you start looking at it and noticing what it was before and what it became. And it's, yeah, it was, it's, I actually it's did a podcast more. specifically on that well, because so many people were talking about it. Oh, I'm sure you had. And, you know, there's an additional component to that. And uh, that's the fact that um, Betelgeuse is the star that we all know, right? Mm-hmm. It's the fifth or sixth brightest star in the sky. And because of AVSO data, we know that its brightness ranges between the fifth or sixth brightest star in the sky. So it's variable. And we have actually data in our database since the late 1800s. We're talking about more than 120 years of Mm. data here. It's a very, very well-observed star. And we thought we knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, yay, go us. Oh, Beetlejuice. <laughs> who cares about Beetlejuice? Whatever. A hundred years of data. Who wants to observe more? And actually, when it started dimming, when it first started dimming, many people said, oh, it's one of the usual, right? Faintings right. of uh, of Beetlejuice. So it started dimming, became the seventh brightest star, and then it started <laughs> giving, dimming more. And it dimmed and dimmed and dimmed to the point where it became the 21st bright the star in the sky. Mm. And this is where both professional and non-professional astronomers paid real attention as in, okay, this is the first time in our recorded history we see something like that. What's going on here? So my point here is that even if you see a star um, whose brightness is changing with time and we've been observing it for a long time, we don't know what we don't know, right? Long-term data on those stars are extremely variable. And I have a challenge for your listeners. Go observe Polaris. Mm. And I'll stop here. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. <Please> hunger. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk about the AVSO. A little bit of history of it. When did it begin? The AVSO became in 1911. It was formed out of Harvard College Observatory to coordinate variable star observations for the then observatory director, Edward Pickering. It's mm-hmm. the same Pickering who had uh, who hired a group of women to analyze plates. And we're talking about Annie J. Cannon and William Hen- um, Le- uh, Henrietta Levitt, that's what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Uh, women who are legends for their discoveries from the Harvard Observatory uh, data. So in principle, the AVSO was was the first association that was founded in order to connect professional and non-professional astronomers and help them collaborate on scientific projects. Uh, Are actually, uh, interestingly, our incorporation document to the state of Massachusetts 
states that the AVSO was founded for the purpose of promoting variable stars and kindred objects. So mm. even at the beginning of last century, uh, when all we knew about our stars like Betelgeuse or Algol, a whole bunch of eclipsers and pulsators, mm-hmm. our forefathers um, realized that there may be more types of, of variability other than the stellar variability. And here we are observing black hole binaries and neutron stars and exoplanets, which technically are not uh, stars. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then, individuals wanted to make sure that the AVSO is evolved with all types of scientific projects that will be of relevance and interest to our observers. So here we are 100 years later. We are an international organization. Um, we have members and observers all over the world. Um, and we have a very, and we're serving a very diverse community. What that translates to is serving people with different needs, different priorities, different professional preparation, habits, and cultural backgrounds. But all those people are united under the international umbrella of astronomy. Astronomy has no borders, if you think about it, right? right? Um, so the cool thing is that. Uh, Looking in our community, we have individuals who are interested in using Variable Star for their research projects, but we're also working with educators who introduce astronomy to their students. We collaborate with a very, very dedicated group of volunteers. We communicate with individuals who are just interested in learning more about new discoveries and progress in Variable Star research. People who actively support citizen science and believe in our mission, they just our org cloud. They're just uh, <laughs> those who are looking at the AVSO for information, for knowledge, and perhaps for projects. And of course, we work with our observers, those individuals who acquire data through the telescopes, CCDs, DSLR cameras, or binoculars, and share this information with the wider community through the AVSO international databases. Now, how, how large is the AVSO? Define large? Uh, we have about... Membership. Membership, we're 1,400 members right now. Our okay. membership has, is increasing with time. Uh, however, we have about 7,000 individuals in our rosters. Not all individuals who are in the AVSO family are members. So many of our observers are not. Some of the citizen scientists who are using the data are not members. So the community we're talking to is much, much lar- larger than our membership. And again, we have members in 52 different countries. Mm. So we are international. Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. Now, this is being the 110 year anniversary. Is there any special events or gatherings planned? Funny you mentioned that. Absolutely. So in two weeks from now, um, November, let's see. Do I have this information? In uh, two weeks from now, November 3 to 7th, we are celebrating our, well, we're celebrating our 110th anniversary through our 110th annual meeting, Mm -hmm. uh, which is actually happening in uh, Massachusetts, outside Boston this year. Uh, And actually, we have uh, celebration, we have a, a variety of events that could be of interest to many individuals. This meeting is happening both in person and virtual because we okay. understand that not everybody feels comfortable traveling. We really right. respect uh, all kinds of um, concerns that people will have. Uh, so we are offering a virtual component. And events that we have at that meeting are from amazing keynote speakers. Actually, Andrea Dupree, 
from uh, Harvard is giving a talk about um, Beetlejuice itself. She's the queen of Beetlejuice. She's been studying <laughs> this star for 60 years or something. Oh, she my goodness. She was born with Beetlejuice's name. <laughs> name, actually, the first word, right? Um, but uh, she is the person who can tell you more than you, uh, more about this beautiful star and what it's doing even now. Fascinating. Um, so, and of course, Sarah Sigler, who is the queen of exoplanets, uh, <laughs> will be there and other names, big names um, in astronomy. Uh, but also, we are going to have a discussion with one of the representatives of uh, uh, the American Astronomical Society's Low Satellite um, Group. This is a this is a group of individuals who are discussing the impact of uh, low satellites, the, the new telecommunication satellites, right? That are uh, the being SpaceX. By SpaceX and, and friends, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that the impact on observational astronomy, and this is going to be more of a discussion um, among the, our community members, just to mm -hmm. address some concerns because those concerns are, are real. Oh yeah. And also, we're going to have a fantastic. Um, Symposium for our ambassadors, our young individuals from all over the world. Most of it's going to be virtual simply because we can't expect those individuals to travel from India, for example, right. to here for two days. Uh, plus, they have they have classes, so they'd better actually focus on their <laughs> academics. But they're doing a tremendous work, tremendous work, not only popularizing the AVSO, uh, but also popularizing astronomy among uh, their peers and among groups of their local communities. So um, these are just a couple of events. And, and uh, yeah, and then we will have an observing section. Um, ob our observing section leaders, uh, groups want to be there. Um, we're going to have all kinds of presentations, discussions. Well, you have to be there. Join us. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds uh, yeah, like it's going to be I, a huge party. I have to look it up. Yeah. Now, yeah. your your membership, is it specifically amateurs or you also have professionals as members it's seasoned astronomers by that i'm using the term to include both professional and okay. professional astronomers right. so we have individuals yeah who are getting paid to do astronomy individuals who are not getting paid to do astronomy okay hmm. all right that's fair that's safe. pretty much the same way we're set up as well yeah. now yeah. what are some of the activities that members can do other than observing, observing well, types of uh, observing and other types of yeah, you know, data analysis or things like that. You can do anything that is relevant to variable stars and is of interest to you. It can range from acquiring your own data, using data from our database and from other databases and what we call data mining projects, um, building instruments. We have a, a very active. Um, uh, observing section has to do with equipment just oh. equipment there are lots of people who really love hardware and they really mm -hmm. love connecting to software automating telescopes and building their own domes um, and if you want to learn more just join their group also we have different techniques of observing different stars um, starting with our sun which is a variable star other than mm -hmm. measuring sunspots we're using radio for seed um, uh, ionospheric disturbances observations uh, we are observing spectroscopically so we have individuals who have spectra and analyze stellar light as the star is doing something um, as the star is changing its brightness and analyzing the light uh, through a spectrograph just imagine a prism pretty mm -hmm. much a higher resolution 
prism. Just to see different uh, elements in the atmosphere, how their strength is changing with time, representing other mechanisms inside the star. Um, we have exoplanet transit observations, very active observing section with exoplanets. So if you are interested in um, studying planets outside our solar system, uh, join that uh, particular section. We have pretty much anything and everything. And the cool thing that the ABSO is providing is a journal, which is part of the scientific literature, the international scientific literature. It is peer-reviewed. So someone is actually looking uh, at the content of each manuscript to make sure that its uh, um, content is, is correct. And okay. it pu publishes correct science. It's actually double-blind referee. So the referee doesn't know who the author is. And oh, that's my. because we wanted to remove any um, unconscious biases from referees when they're looking at this kind of manuscripts. Uh, we highly recommend anyone who comes up with any result, no matter how small, quote-unquote, it is, to actually publish it. Because pretty much that result will be necessary for the next uh, researcher to use in order mm -hmm. to do their own science, right? So this is what the JVSO is about. Um, so within that, pretty much, if someone is interested in variable stars, they can just join us as part of our audience. We have webinars and how-to hours, or as someone who's analyzing data or someone who's taking data. Okay, now it's a journal part of membership fee? The journal is part of our, I mean, we're waiving uh, pay charges for our members. It's, Oh, excuse so me, what was that again? Can, we're, we're waiving page charges for our members. But okay. The journal itself is what we call open access. So okay. uh, the results are discoverable right after a manuscript is being, um, is being accepted. Okay. So people can actually see your research. Uh, it's listed under NASA's ADS services. So oh. the results are discoverable. So anyone in principle who's doing a similar similar work on a similar star and the one that is presented in uh, the journal can access the relevant results and use them for their own research. Okay. Now, is the journal a paper journal or is it online? Uh, mostly. Well, it's online okay. primarily, but we do provide paper copies for those who request. Okay. By request. Okay. All right. Um, do you have different types of memberships? We do have different types types of memberships. We have uh, full members for $85 a year. Um, but from there, we have sustaining members for $200 a year. Now, I am a sustaining member mm -hmm. uh, of the AVSO. Uh, we also have student memberships. We have limited income memberships. We have mm -hmm. um, memberships for individuals from uh, um, developing countries. We want to enable people to actually become a member of the mm -hmm. AVSO. I know how important it is for individuals to, to know that they belong in such an amazing organization. We're right. trying to, to facilitate as much as possible. Okay. So mm -hmm. if, if, if I were to start out observing variable stars, mm -hmm. what advice would you give me? I'd ask you to go to our webpage. And actually, <laughs> this is a new webpage. Well, you scroll down, you're going to see nine beautiful big boxes, one of which say, says um, <clears throat> observing sections. So if you want to see what type of stars you're going to, uh, you can observe what kind of information the stars are giving us, how, what we learn through variable stars, uh, you can go there. Uh, we have a, a very rich educational program. So from manuals to online courses, et cetera, we have 
tools for observers. And of course, we have our forums, you know, ask your peers. We have an amazing mentoring uh, group. It's a, actually a peer mentoring um, peer mentoring group where okay. more experienced observers are um, advising novices in a certain technique. So um, I am an, a professional astronomer by training. So mm-hmm. I'm used to not operating telescopes or not um, <laughs> finding my own stars. Uh, so when I started my visual program, through, I just have a pair of binoculars. My little binoculars, I actually asked for a mentor. Hmm. I was ex- extremely fortunate. My mentor was um, is actually the spouse of one of our um, staff members, uh, John O'Neill. And oh, okay. He li- yeah, and they live right outside Boston. So I was able to go to Sarah John's place uh, and sit right next to my mentor with my binoculars and his binoculars as we were star hopping. And he was showing me how to do that type of uh, stellar observations. It was actually phenomenal. Because, you know, it, it was this experience where you see with your own eyes something changing. Right. You know, and that's very common. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's very common amongst your, your community. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, Alpo observers keep doing what they're doing. Right? Right. Things are changing. It was just yeah. phenomenal. I get asked all the time, why, why are yeah. we still observing the moon? Well, the moon looks different every single night. Is it? Every single yeah, the shadows change, everything like that changes. There you so, go. It's not so it's it's the same so, type, it's the same type of thing. And exactly. same with the planets and stuff. They're yeah. always looking, looking differently. Ex- exactly. And there's this excitement of seeing something uh unique. Mm-hmm. And chances are that you're the only person who's looking at it at that time. Yeah. It's this kind of unique time in history where you're capturing a phase of an object. Mm-hmm. Um for the first time by yourself and it, it makes you so feel so empowered as in i can do it from my yeah. little rock around the sun that's right and i'm learning something and if all of us um who belong in this particular group take data not necessarily at the same time at different times we build a picture of something that is way way bigger and much more dynamic than we are mm. how cool is that yeah, you're right very, very, it's very cool yeah, that's, it's... That's, this is why we do it of course. Yes, yes. Of course. Now, uh, other than magnitude estimates, mm-hmm. what other type of observations can one make uh, in in the AVSO? I mentioned sunspot counts. Okay. We are actually issuing the American um, sunspot number. Uh, and it's been actually something that we've been doing since World War II two, I dare say, or World War I, one of those, mm-hmm. uh, simply because Europeans could not do it for obvious reasons. Um, they had, they were sort of preoccupied. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> we're doing that. We are doing, as I said, uh, ionospheric observations of the sun uh, through seed photometers. We're still having individuals who are doing photoelectric photometry, which mm-hmm. are extremely, it's a, an, an old technique, but it provides, it provides extremely accurate data on yeah. bright stars. So this technique is being used by as many observers can get their hands on PEPs, on photoelectric photometers, to study stars such as Betelgeuse or Polaris uh, and gather very valuable information on those stars. Uh, we're also having a spectroscopy observing section. So people are using spectrographs or very low um or low resolution uh, spectral analyzers in order to acquire 
data of stars as those stars are changing their brightness. And it's really cool to see how emission absorption lines are, are changing. So spectra alongside photometry are extremely important tools to understand the mechanics of stars. This is how we do science. Mm -hmm. As you put all, all this data together, you try to understand something that is four-dimensional. Time is one dimension, right? Um, and pretty much, I think that this covers most of the observing styles at the AVSO. Okay. Um, people can do their brightness changes either with their eyes or through a camera, DSLR mm -hmm. camera, CCD, telescope, whatever they have available. And, you know, there's so many stars in the night sky that we will never run out of stars. We usually run out of observers <laughs> before we even run out of stars. Now, are, are variable stars still being discovered? Yes. They are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, we have actually, we also curate a super catalog. It's called Variable Star Index. That has right now about 2 million objects and counting. Wow. Uh, variable stars, you know, even a star that you're, you think is not variable, it, you consider constant, may suddenly show some variability for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And we've been having that, um, uh, these kind of discoveries nonstop uh, and making sure that we mark those stars as non-constant as we learn more about them. Okay. It's, it might be serendipity, right? A star that is um, doing something very constant uh, and then someone is looking at it for whatever reason and it changed in brightness. And here's an example. Earlier this year, uh, a friend of mine who's running Assassin, Chris Tanak, posted uh, a, a Twitter feed just to understand how science works, right? Of a really bright star that had decades of data and suddenly started going down, fading. And no one really knew why. You're like, okay, okay so what's going on with that star? So um, we initiated an alert, uh, an AVSO alert, and it turned out that this was one of these really long period eclipsing binaries. Oh. One star is passing in front of another every 40 years, 4-0. So, so far, we, ha we happen to observe it outside eclipse, capturing the brightness of both stars. So we're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. But once one started eclipsing its companion, then you we started seeing drops in the light uh. of the star. <laughs> so, this kind of thing. So... Okay. And, and yes, there are lots of unknown variables in our, in, our, in our galaxy, let alone in other galaxies. Okay. Now, one of the tools on your website, I love, it's a light curve generator. Mm -hmm. And I've used it for comets and things like that as well. I mean, it's... Oh, it's, really? Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great tool. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a tool that... Actually, this is a second generation of this tool. Mm -hmm. uh, it started as just a quick lookup of how a light curve looks like. AVSO data, how uh, pretty much they, they look like. So if you if you had your favorite star, right, and you want to know what's uh, what kind of data exists on your favorite star for the last, say, 200 days, you would go in the light curve generator and then just uh, type the name of the star and plot. And you could just plot the, bright, the brightness change with time in whatever filters you wanted, actually. You could select your own filters. This new version of the light curve generator is a little bit more interactive and definitely more powerful. 
um, other than providing the information that you you want, brightness change with time, within a time period that you can choose, you can select amongst filters. You can see how many observers observe this star, who observed when. Mm -hmm. If you are one of the observers, you can overlap your data to see more or less where it stands with respect to others. You can zoom in and out. (laughs) You can select specific filters if you want to. And also this particular light of generator has a, the power of uh, connecting to other databases. And before you ask, yes, we do have some in mind <laughs> that we want to connect to <laughs> so that um, they can take data from there. So you see what kind of data exists on your star. So if you're a researcher, if you're a student working on a project, an educator, anyone who is interested in taking a look at what kind of data exists out there, right. you should be able to go to your star, ask for the AVSO data, and eventually uh, see what kind of data exists in the in other databases on the same plot. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, I've played with that cool. quite a bit. It's, it's pretty fascinating. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, now, uh, it's a great collective idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about the organization? I'd like to invite you to join us. I'd like to invite everyone actually to join the AVS or even as uh, as an ORT cloud, um, <laughs> an ORT cloud uh, object or a comet who would like to come and perturb the whole world. <laughs> um, come and join us. Take a look at our material. Um, join our webinars. They're free, seriously, and they're hard yeah. two hours. Uh, we are open for questions if you want to know how you get started what type of objects you want to observe we can bring you in contact with our observing section leaders individuals who are extremely knowledgeable on specific types of variable stars can introduce you to projects we can um, connect you with a mentor just email avso at avso.org again avso at avso.org and someone would definitely um, definitely respond to your email and join us for our anniversary. It's not every day that someone becomes 110 years old. And no, it's not. And I want to congratulate you on that again. That's that's amazing. Thank that's you. Really- it is an amazing organization. We're hoping that it's going to be around for at least 110 more years. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can feel your passion and enthusiasm as we talk, and it's getting me excited for the organization as well. So. So, so Joey, you, I mean, uh, you, I think they're in good hands with you at the, at the helm. You know something? We all explore the universe. And since we can't go to different objects, we need to have different means. And we would all collectively try to be as smart as we can with the data that we have in our hands. At the same time, you know, astronomy teaches us where we belong. This is something that as a member of Alpo knows quite well, right? We mm-hmm. are in a teeny tiny rock around a kind of boring star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to live for what a hundred years? Yay, go us! <laughs> so, if not anything else, uh, knowing those scales and knowing how powerful our, collect- our collective is, we are trying to leave a legacy not only for ourselves but for the generations to come to try to understand really fun stars, really crazy stars, and they say. And you know, as part of being humble, you have to actually be able to admit as a professional astronomer, you know. I, I understand the behavior of this star based on the data I have now, because tomorrow it will do something. Maybe it will do something different. Sure. New data will reveal new uh, behaviors. For example, Betelgeuse, right? Yep, that's a prime yeah. example. I mean, we've got a lot of people interested in variable stars. Absolutely, in yeah. stars to begin with, right? Yes. Um, yeah. It's not just somebody in a movie. 
<laughs> exactly. And you know what's interesting? Here's another fun fact. Um, Beetlejuice did not become supernova. And we can talk about Beetlejuice and its behavior at different times, but this did not prevent um, artists to come up with a concept of how Beetlejuice will look like when it becomes supernova within the next 200,000 years, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it turns out it's going to be brighter than a full moon. It's going to be a source of light pollution, my friends. Mm. You don't want Beetlejuice to go off. You won't be able to see <laughs> anything else. <laughs> that's that's a very good point. <laughs> like, like, where are my stars? Oh, that darn object exploded. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stella, this has been a lot of fun. Same for me as well. Um, and, and, good luck to everyone. Um, my message to your listeners is to please stay safe, safety first, especially in the peculiar times that we live in. But also remember that uh, social distancing is not social isolation. And every time you look at your favorite object in the night sky, think about all the other hundreds of people who are looking up in the, the night sky, not necessarily at your favorite object, at other objects. But this is something we all do together, something we are learning from all together. Exploring the universe is a, an activity that has no borders. It doesn't understand accents. It doesn't understand gender or tribe or anything, any background. All it understands is passion. It understands energy and it understands um, collaboration, communication. So I hope to virtually see you at the annual meeting i hope i'll be able to come to an alpo meeting at some point when we, oh, everything comes back to normal yeah but thank you again our, for our, having me our last two conferences have been virtual and we want to get that back together again next oh, year yeah. yes <laughs> yeah all right well so thank you very much again great pleasure Tim. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank the Executive Director of the AAVSO, Dr. Stella Kafka, for coming on the podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know I did. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Echo, and Spotify. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'd like to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support. Thank you very much. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the Alpo is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>